We're continuing this section on practicing Dharma. Then we go on to a dialogue uh, between uh, Lumpur Cha and uh, an Air Force doctor from Bangkok who came to visit Wat Ba Phong at a certain point. So this section is called Monastic Life. Why do people ordain? Dr. V. I'd like to tell you a story about some relatives of mine. This family had a son whom they recognized as having the potential to be a good student. So they made a lot of sacrifices to send him to college. While he was in school, he began to take an interest in learning Dharma and soon found a lot of joy in it. The parents had great hopes that he would get a good job and become the pillar of the family. Everyone had sacrificed for him to study. By the time he graduated, he was immersed in Dharma and wanted to ordain. His parents were upset to the point of tears and felt distressed about religion, but in the end they had to agree to let him ordain. I don't go to monasteries. According to my view, the world has two factions, the laity and the monastics. I have a family to support and I practice a livelihood. I have my duties to them and to society and the country. When I come here, I get the idea that some people want everyone to ordain. But as a layman, I give benefit to society and people. I support my family and bring them happiness. We can support the sasana, the dispensation of the Buddha, in this capacity. But if everyone ordained, the monks and nuns would have to work in the fields and do trading and wouldn't have much time to practice and teach. So when I hear the tale of this young man who let his parents down so badly, I see it as a sin, a terrible sin. He made bad karma with his parents and so many others. It was a selfish action following his own desire. So that's a statement of this particular doctor and his, uh, his view on um, that uh, situation and to which Lumpur uh, Chah responds. That's true, doctor, but I'll ask you a question. Which has more value, a kilo of lead or a kilo of gold? Which would you choose if I offered them? The gold. Life is like that. When it's so clear-cut, you want the thing with value, the gold. Likewise, this young man made his decision. Why do you choose the gold? Because it's valuable. There you are. So don't think like that. I'm not telling you not to think, but investigate to see whether it's correct. And you don't have to worry about everyone ordaining and there being no one left to build the world. For example, when they need to hire someone to play music, you don't have to be bothered by that. They only hire the ones who can play. They don't hire you and everyone else. Not everyone is going to ordain, and it also won't happen that no one, or, that no one ordains. It just can't happen. Whoever has faith and wisdom will do it. There shouldn't be any sense of oppression. I used to think like this too. Killing animals is wrong. How about just eating chilies every day? But who can do that? Who can pound the chilies every day for us to eat? We can't make these sweeping judgments. The intention in ordaining is not to destroy our parents or our family lineage. We see that our family is still sunk in suffering. But others might see it differently, like the gold and the lead. One who decides to ordain for life sees the world as lead, just as you chose the gold. We don't want the world, our family and the rest to be destroyed. But it's difficult to find people who can understand this. There is a palm and back of the hand, but your view is one-sided. When people ordain with pure intention, they suffer too, because they see things according to Dharma. 
You can call it bad karma, but then the Buddha really made a lot of bad karma in that case. In the end, the intention is not selfish. It is to be able to teach the family to live in the light. Right now, in our monastery, there's a monk who studied abroad and then decided to ordain for life. His father was upset at first, but now he comes here and doesn't want the son to leave. At first, we don't see any value to monastic life. But with some wisdom, we see that it really has value. Oh, don't worry, there are not so many who want to ordain. There are plenty who want to stay in the world. Don't think the world will empty out. When someone ordains, they cease doing evil and work to help people understand and live in happiness and coolness, practice right livelihood and live harmoniously, help each other, live without harming or exploiting. Not everyone will ordain. Don't think about it. Not everyone will be alike. The world isn't like that. If it weren't this way, it wouldn't be the world. So this is a, 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 not, a not uncommon situation or a ex kind of exchange. I've been uh, had these conversations myself as well. Um, I remember one uh, one family coming here uh, a number of years ago, um, and they they were quite upset and distressed. It wasn't their own child, but uh, they they were saying the the uh, the son of uh, close friends of theirs who is was doing a, a master, come to this country and was doing a master's degree and wanted to to become a monk and they were uh, they felt it was a real disaster and it was a total waste of a life and I said after a while they were kind of going on like this I said you do realize I'm a monk <laughs> yeah. and so to me an, in, an intelligent intelligent good-hearted person who wants to become a monk I think y y do you expect me to say that's not a good idea and they were kind of look really blank like huh you should be agreeing with us and <laughs> really it was really quite weird it's like I said, you know look you know i'm a monk I, I you know i too have a university degree i became i went into the monastery when i was 21 years old do you think it was a mistake for me to be a monk uh you know like uh, so anyway they said no no but it's for other people this this young person it's it's a it's a bad thing I said, why is bad why is it bad for him he's 27 years old he's doing a master's degree He's uh, got a lot of faith, a commitment. What, what's, do you want the Sangha to be made up of people who couldn't find another job or who are kind of shoved in when they're young orphan boys or, or, or women who couldn't find a husband or got kicked out by a, uh, an, un, uh, an unfriendly and unwelcoming, uh, unhelpful husband? Or, uh, that is, is the Sangha just for social failures? And they were kind of going... <laughs> they're trying not to nod their heads you know like that's where we expect yeah that's where monks come from is the orphanages you know and they're kind of like as I, I, I okay this is going to take a while <laughs> but it, it was really quite interesting that they said no you, no, you don't understand no he, he's really successful and intelligent therefore he shouldn't be a monk I said so you'd like the Sangha to be made up of people who are not intelligent and who can't succeed at anything else. And, and it's like there was just some sort of connection wasn't getting made. And I said, to me, if you really want a healthy society, obviously I'm somewhat biased, but the best and the, you know, the monastery is for the best and the brightest rather than the people who can't survive anywhere else. And there was this, no, but not him. Yeah, no, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mistake for this person. So I, I felt quite sympathetic with this young man who I hadn't met. <laughs> But uh, but also I was trying to respect their genuine distress. But it was something that somehow they just hadn't considered, 
and that say, you know, don't you think it's if the sangha doesn't have people who are uh, personally motivated, who are intelligent, who are, um, have a, a lot of, of uh, mental resources and uh, motivation, uh, you know, how can you see that that's going to be something that's harmful to the country or harmful to the religion? You know, it's going to be a boost to the whole religion, isn't it? And there was just something that wasn't, yeah, but that's got, for not, not this family, not this person, but it's somewhere else, some, somebody else. So just using that as an example, so I could empathize a lot reading this, uh, this dialogue with Lumpur Cha and this, um, this fellow. When, um, uh, many years ago, when uh, someone was, uh, a young person was, uh, had come to visit Chithurst, uh, in the early days of Chithurst Monastery, and it was a, a, a very, um, um, uh, rationally minded uh, young uh, English student and was um, again had this impression that there was uh, the assumption that that the, the the monks and nuns who lived at Chithurst assumed everybody should become a monk or a nun that was the, the wish or the the aim or the, the assumption that you know everybody should do that um, and he was talking to uh, Ajahn Viridhamma um, and saying you know if everyone became a, a monk or a nun you know who would who would run the? Uh, who would do all the farming? You know, who would? Uh, you know, who would um, you know, look after the hospitals? You know, who would be the nurses and doctors? And uh, you know, how uh, if everyone became a monastic, then you know, how will the world function? And then Ajahn Viridhamma used this um, uh, Latvian expression. He said, "Yes, and if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bus." Which <laughs> the person? What? <laughs> Yeah, if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bus. If everyone in the world wanted to become a Buddhist monk or nun, yeah, there wouldn't be anyone to grow the crops. But it's, yeah, it's as, as likely as my grandmother sprouting wheels. It's like it's just never going to happen. That that uh, that's the, the the kind of the everyone will be interested in Buddhism, and the the most coarse, selfish, uh, and uh, aggressive person on the planet would still want to become a Buddhist monastic. That that would be. Uh, the uh, it's just never statistically it's just never ever ever going to happen. And the people who had mo- you know that would be the motivation for everybody. So Ajahn Chah says that you know three or four times just in this one expression. Like if you look at the world, it's just not going <laughs> to it's just not going to be that way. Uh, it's just like you know the, that's the way the natural order works. Just if you if you look at say the 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 birds uh, uh, say. Looking for 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 grubs or or even the the bird feeders, you know the birds, they they go to different places. They go to different parts of the hedge. They go to different parts of the ground. They're not all. You don't see six pigeons all going at kind of one tiny spot on the grass. They're kind of scattered around the the lawn, sort of picking in different places. That's we don't all go to the same spot. It's just even even wild creatures, it's it's the same thing. So, uh, but in terms of the rational mind, there's a, uh, there's a the thought that. If you're a Buddhist monastic, you assume that everyone should be a Buddhist monastic, and then B that um, the uh, uh, you think that uh, everyone could be inclined in that way. So it, it's very um, unrealistic in that respect. And I, again, I've had a number of conversations where total strangers on the, on a train or a, uh, in a in an airport or someplace that come up to you and say, "I'm going to tell you why I'm never going to become a Buddhist monk." And I think, well. <laughs> Well, like, you think I should be doing what you do? I said, well, no, I don't. 
and they're, they're like, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. I, I choose to live this way. This is my interest, my, my faith, my choice. But why should I, why should I want that for you? I mean, why should I assume that it might be a good fit for you? And they go, oh. So they assume if you're kind of an, such an extremist that you would walk around dressed like this, that you assume everyone else should be an extremist like you. And so it's quite, those are quite sweet conversations usually when you say, no, no, I'm, uh, whatever faith you have, great, Sato, you know, I'm happy for that. Uh, why, why should I wish you to be a Buddhist like me? You know, it's like, it's, it's a, that's not something I'm interested in. And so that then that, that can open things up for the person. Like, oh, really? You, you don't think everyone should be a Buddhist? Like, well, no, you know, it's up to you. It's your choice. And they go, oh. <laughs> so often those kind of dialogues are a bit more uh, fruitful. So that um, uh, you know, it's it's, it's uh, you know, you understand that people have sincere um, concerns, and um, that they have a but they have a particular point of view. But you know, it's also I feel it's it's good to consider the Buddha's own sort of dynamic of his life. That when he was growing up, there was this prediction either he would become a great spiritual leader or a great um, secular leader a quote-unquote world, uh, world monarch or world emperor, and that uh, he quite deliberately chose the, the spiritual life to the dismay of his father, King Suddhodana. And, um, uh, but he saw that's the, uh, what, the, what would be the, the best use of his life, the most, uh, the, that which is of greatest benefit. And the other sort of monarchs who, who came and went in north, uh, northern India um, two and a half thousand years ago, a lot of the, the kind of local leaders, their names have long been forgotten and disappeared. But because the, the Buddha did choose the spiritual life and put his energy and effort in, into that, then we are here. <laughs> you know, two and a half thousand years later, we have uh, places like Amravati and uh, the Buddha's teaching is... Uh, still benefiting the world in a, in a very great uh, and direct way. But it's also interesting that um, in the commentaries and later accounts, King Suddhodana becomes a disciple of the Buddha and even some, some uh, recensions of, his, uh, of the, the Buddha's life story that King Suddhodana becomes an arahant before he passes away. But in the Pali Canon itself, there isn't a single place where you find King Suddhodana saying, uh, I take refuge in you, or delighting in any Dhamma teaching that that the Buddha gives. Uh, there's never that. It, it is wonderful. It is marvelous. Uh, King Suddhodana never says that. He never takes refuge with his son. He never expresses faith in his teachings. And uh, so the kind of later accounts had him as a stream enterer, or even becoming an arahant, or at least having faith. But. Uh, I feel that the canon is is uh, much more accurate, and it's like even though his son is a fully enlightened Buddha, it's like <laughs> don't agree. <It's, laughs> he should have become a king, you know. What, what's going to happen to the to uh, the Sakians with with him doing this? Which uh, is poignant, you know. It's like that, even with the that great spiritual uh, qualities emerging in in his own child. Something in, in at least how, as as I read it, something in King Suddhodana couldn't really take that and was still feeling like this doctor, like, it's a waste. So he could really be doing the family a lot of good and, and uh, that view is, is lodged in place. And so that, uh, 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 that I feel, is it's a poignant kind of um, dynamic, but I think that's what, what we have there with, with uh, 
the Buddha and King Suddhodana. And so that's, uh, uh, I think, Lumpur Chah's response here is trying to point out, yeah, people have different perspectives. It's never going to be an issue that that, that um, so many people want to enter the monastic life that the society is going to collapse, there won't be any food to eat, <laughs> or nobody to drive the buses or, or uh, look after the sick. That uh, That isn't going to be the, the way it works. But also recognizing that the... Um, it's not other people's families <laughs> that that uh, uh, need to be the the source of where all the nuns and monks come from. But why not your family? You know, what's what, what's wrong with that? You know, why is that such a a um, uh, a loss? And and for many of us as Westerners, you know, the, I think it's very very few of us came from families where our parents said, "Oh, hooray! What a good thing to do with your life." You know, <laughs> took me about fifteen years. Of uh, being in the, in the robes before I I got a, a any kind of a sort of supportive uh, or a, um, a mildly approving uh, 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 gestures from my from my parents. You know I was wasn't looking for it, but uh, uh, and I wasn't I didn't enter into monastic life in order to upset them, but um, yeah, it took a long time. Uh, for, for that sense of seeing some value in what I was doing and uh, you know, some kind of empathy with uh, with this motivation, so it's an ancient dynamic, and I feel Yulon Puchar is doing his best to um, explain things to the the, the fellow here. Uh, but um, uh, and, and I also think that um, uh, the Ajahn Viridamo's response, yes, if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bus. It's also another expression, he doesn't use it here, but uh, Lumpur Chah um, used in other places with the same question. He said, that's like uh, worrying that the worms will, run, worms will run out of earth to eat. Like, uh, no matter how much earth the, the worms eat, the, there'll always be more earth for the, for, for the earthworms to eat. So, you know, don't worry that, uh, that the, the worms will run out of earth. Um, it, uh, there'll, always, there'll always be enough. So any thoughts, questions, reflections? Yes. I, I have this in Thai, so I listen to it, and I remember that uh, the guy also had a very good point. The doctor, he said, but he sh- could have wait, work for a few years. That's the next oh, next passage, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it, yeah, it doesn't really hold much water to me anyway. We'll get on to that in a moment. But... But it's rather like saying, I don't want to die yet, you know, in a little while, not yet, not yet. But, uh, but that's in the next, the next section. Yes? I just had this um, uh, thought that all the examples you gave were brushing a bit against the grain of proselytizing. Yeah, which is not part of the tradition at all, <laughs> part of the school, and brings back, connects as well to... It was a discovery, for instance, for me about the Brahma Charoka request, which is, if there is no request, there is no Dharma talk, mm-hmm. and which which I connect with this thing about not not proselyting. So the person who comes to you and say, aren't, aren't you just someone who who would wish everyone to do monastic? I'm going to tell you why I don't want to be a monk. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just put this in the yeah, no, capsule of. Think, yeah, that's exactly that they they assume that you're a missionary exactly. and they're rather like missionary types from other religions that you're 
trying to persuade you, or you keen to persuade everyone to think like you do and to act like you do and so it, that it's a sort of a, a blessing to be able to offer that say no I'm very happy for you, you to be a Christian or a Hindu or a Muslim or uh, whatever sometimes you know the taxi drivers will give you a lecture on on Vedanta or the Quran or well, even when you're a Buddhist monastic, getting into a, a taxi sometimes that they they feel compelled to give you a, some instruction on the New Testament. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to change my religion on this car ride, but, the, but the, you know, people are very sincere. But uh, it's when you're offering that sense of no, I, I'm totally happy for you to have the faith that you you have, and it's not. Um, uh, not, not my wish or, or our job to try and persuade you different. It was very interesting at a, a conference with the Dalai Lama with a number of Western Dharma teachers in, in Dharamsala about uh, 30 years ago, early 90s. Um, and um, they were trying to draw up a, a, a list of principles for, for Dharma teachers around the, the world and sort of Number one, and so there was. This was going on while the while the conference was happening, and so um, the uh, and it was. I think Stephen Batchelor and Jack Cornfield were the sort of putting the the various different um, uh, sort of suggestions and putting the wording together. And so on about the the fourth or fifth day of this conference, and they they gave this draft to His Holiness, and. Um, I think it was Stephen Batchelor reading it out, and so he said, "You know, our first uh, our first duty as uh, as uh, Buddhist teachers is uh, to uh, spread the, the the teaching of the Buddha in the world." And the, and the Dalai Lama stopped, and said, "No, no, no, that's totally wrong. That's totally wrong. How can you say that?" It's like it was like halfway through point number one. It's like, "No, you guys have got it completely wrong." So everyone was a bit. There's about twenty five or thirty people gathered there. So it was like, okay, so. He said, no, no, it's an, our first duty is to encourage uh, human kindness. That's our duty. Whether people choose to be Buddhist or Christian or Hindu or Muslims or whatever, that's, or communists, that's totally their business. Our, our duty is not to spread Buddhism. No. Like, he was really quite, quite firm. And he said, no, our, our, our duty is to spread kindness, you know, encourage human kindness. So, okay, let's, can we have our list back, Your Holiness? <laughs> Do a bit of rewriting, but uh, it was very—he was very clear. It was like, no, it's, that's that's not our duty to to encourage Bud the, the spread of Buddhism. Also, I've been at a number of his large public talks with with you know five, six, ten thousand people, and he would uh, begin uh, some of these these events by saying, "If I if what I say causes any of you to waver in the faith that you have, I would feel I will have failed." So. If, if there are people here who are Christians or Hindus or Muslims or you know, um, have other faiths, then I hope that what I say today will encourage you and strengthen you in your, in your faith and in your commitment rather than arousing doubts and make you feel like you ought to be a Buddhist. So, of course, saying that made people think, oh, he really is wise. <laughs> Even more likely to have faith in his words than before. But, uh, he, but he, 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 he means that when he says it. And I think it's a very... Um, it does make a lot of space for people, and it's quite an unusual way of relating to to uh, religious motivation. He was a very good friend with the Archbishop. That's with he was Archbishop Tutu, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so to continue. 
So then the doctor, Dr. V, says, okay, I understand. On the subject of making merits, I have this question. Making merits should bring happiness to oneself and others. When I see people do it, they may tell their kids, don't eat the most expensive fruit, save it to offer to the monks. Shouldn't it be something that is not a burden to others? This is my objection to the young man who graduated and wanted to ordain. Shouldn't meritorious activity bring happiness and satisfaction to oneself and all others? Uh, the way this guy made merit is like me stealing from someone's purse to make an offering when she needs to take her child to the hospital before he dies. Monks ordain, they go and teach and spread Buddhism, but these days there are so many ajans. Others want to make themselves like the Buddha. The Buddha was the one who went first, the one who founded our sasana, our religion, for the benefit of the many, others could not see, so he left home to be able to open their eyes. But now there are so many. You and others are teaching the Dharma, it's enough. So it isn't important for this fellow uh, to try to be like you or like the Buddha. If he could wait a few years, uh, it would not upset others. It wouldn't make trouble for them, and he could find happiness for them. My objection is that he didn't wait for the appropriate time. He could have waited a few years. He chose the wrong time. So I call it evil. And poor Rukchara responds, who can know the right time? Well, he could, if he could determine firmly to wait seven years and ordain, fine. Of course, if he waited seven years and became an alcoholic in the meantime, that would be wrong. But apart from something like that, he should wait seven years. Lumpur responds, if you say wait, how will you ensure he has the time? You say, wait seven years, but will death wait? Is there an agreement you can make with death? Everyone would like to, but who can? So if he sees it like this, he wants to ordain. He doesn't see things the way you do. He realizes the timelessness of the Dharma and the immediacy of the situation. So what can you tell him to do? D, uh, Dr. V faltering. Well, what I think is he's selfish. He wants the happiness in the, in the Dharma for himself. He doesn't think of others. If it's like that, then think about this. You studied to be a doctor. And that was out of your self-interest, right? True. Why? Mrs. Lumpur Chas then carries on. When someone still has a self, they will be selfish. The Buddha talked about this. The, world's, the word self is just a concept. We look at others and we think, we, have a, a self, and we think they have a self as we do. But there's just earth, water, fire and air. The Buddha saw this and taught that there is no real self, no person, being or individual. So... How could there be selfishness? We believe in a self, so we think about selfishness. People who talk about self see the four elements as a person. The Buddha only sees lumps of things momentarily gathered together. But we can't speak about this. People don't understand. I'll just say a word or two for you to think about. When I say walking forward, backing up or stopping, you can relate to these words. But if I say none of those, then what is it? One person has reached this point, but others are somewhere else. You hear it, but don't understand at all. There's a problem in understanding, because this is transcendent speech. The words of the awakened ones. When we grow up, we can understand. The ways of the world and of Dharma don't meet. We have to talk about going forward, and for such ordinary people... I'm sorry, we have to talk about going forward and such for ordinary people, but that isn't the whole story. We say there is cause and effect for people, true, but it's different for fools and wise people. 
they get different results. The Buddha said, I'm above cause and effect, beyond birth and death. Once you were a child, when you saw a balloon, you got excited and wanted to play. But if you see a balloon now, do you want to play? No. Why not? Because it has no purpose. You grew up, right? When you were a child, you saw a balloon as a very valuable thing. You had so much fun. Then it broke, and maybe you cried. But now it's different. If someone says, Doctor, do you want to play with balloons? You're not interested. But still, children will argue with you. They'll say, of course, it's valuable to play with balloons. So, who is right? Who will win the argument? The kids are right from their side. The adult is right from their side. Asking these questions is very good. Let's hear more and get down to it. <laughs> so Lumpur was obviously enjoying the, the dialogue and the kind of uh, uh, probing quality of these questions. So um, there are a few more things in there. So that, that um, uh, it reminded me very much of, uh, of um, Lumpur's example in the previous uh, talk of saying someone, when, when they get sick, then they're asking for more time. I don't want to die yet, not yet. This isn't the right time. I need more time. And then when they recover, they stop thinking about it. <laughs> and then when they get sick again, then they say, oh, no, not yet, not yet. I, don't, I can't die yet. So um, that, uh, and my experience of uh, that sort of situation where someone says, oh, you wait seven years, then the, <laughs> the seven years go by and they say, oh, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. It's still not the right time. And so... Um, it's a, uh, uh, I think, a, an idea passing through the mind, but it's, it's really sort of two different perspectives on the, the, um, uh, the, the situation, and that you can understand someone say, wait seven years and then it'll be okay, but it's really uh, they still haven't understood the motivation or the interest of the of the individual. And then when he says about this. Um, uh, Walking forward, backing up, or stopping. This was something that in in the latter years of Lumpur Chah's teaching, he would use quite often as a metaphor of if you can't go forward, you can't go back, and you can't stand still. Where can you go? And he would often just, when people came to visit, he would just ask them that out of the out of the blue as a question. Yeah. And then in his very la the very last message he sent to Lumpur Sumato in 1981, he sent a letter from uh, from. Uh, from Tamsung Pet uh, to uh, to Lumpur Sumato at Chithurst, and uh, the uh, I was I was there when Lumpur received it, um, and uh, the the message from Lumpur Cha was that uh, the uh, whenever you have feelings of love or hate for anything whatsoever, these will be your aids and partners in building Barami. The Buddha Dhamma is not to be found in moving forwards, nor in moving backwards, nor in standing still. This Sumato is your place of non-abiding. Okay, off you go. <laughs> this is uh, Lumpur Chah's last instruction to, to Lumpur Sumato. Was, uh, that was it. And so that that frustrates the, the mind that thinks in terms of time and location and identity. And it's only through letting go of thinking, you know, I am this person passing through time, I am here, uh, and is invested in, in three-dimensional space, in time and in identity, then... There's no solution, but when those are let go of, when it's recognized, recognized that the Dhamma is timeless, unlocated, non-personal, that is, uh, then then that place of non-abiding can be uh, can be realized, can be actualized, and so and Lumpur Chah is so pointing to that in this uh, uh, 
with this pointing to this principle uh, to uh, in the conversation with with the doctor and then it's a very good example about balloons you know that uh, you know when you were a child there was something that was exciting but then when a balloon popped then you you know you would feel heartbroken but it doesn't really have any value for you now but um, he's saying that when someone has the inspiration to practice dhamma and to not be tied up in, with worldly responsibilities and, and concerns and worldly values it's like they they've lost their feeling for balloons you know, the, it's just, yeah that, that that's passed on and that there's uh, you you can't just sort of create that so any questions thoughts for the reflection yes Actually, that in, in Thai, there's a little bit more of story because the, the boy has family that's so poor, and they save all the money to send him. To, he's the only one in, who uh, graduated in college, so they have much hope that he would uh, live up. I mean, the story was so you know touch me, and then the fact that he could wait work for a few years to you know just a few years so have some money say and his family could be a little bit out i i felt that the guy made a point here but the answer really brilliant in that he hit in the urgency of death mm-hmm. it's like death can happen at any time yeah. and so therefore you have to do it now and, the yeah. and even that the doctor recognizes that right. uh, well if he became an al- alcoholic in those seven years and right. that wouldn't be good it's like right. Yeah, because you know you you don't know uh, how how things are going to work out, yes. and so that. Um, Brilliant. Both of them are nice, and but the poor, of course, the poor should push out. Yes. So you know there there there's very reasonable concerns in you that you that people have, but also um, the the dynamic of how it works out well, in the Buddha's own life. Then you know that the. The feeling that if he was going to leave the the Sakyan kingdom, and then who was going to take over? Who was going to be the the leader of the community without him as an obviously gifted, sort of a stellar kind of character? Then his half brother Nanda, or the other Sakyan kind of nobles that were not quite as sort of bright, brighter light as him. Then it's like, oh, how are we going to manage? And so there are there are these qualities in in the mix, but. Um, and so that one is one of the things that I feel is you know, when people come and, and uh, um, say express an interest in in ordination or in spiritual training, it really has to come from the individual themselves, um, and that if they've been persuaded in either by other monks or nuns, <laughs> or uh, or um, they they are kind of just running away from something, then you know it's not gonna it's not gonna be. Um, uh, a very good fit. It's not going to work out. The the motivation is not uh, is uh, is mu- is kind of unclear or is confused with trying to um, uh, get away from from some particular social situation. So, but it, it's it's much it's much uh, rarer in the West. The, almost always in the West, the people's motivation is very very uh, very much their own wish. They're they're not being persuaded in by anybody else. One of the the curious things that happens in Thailand, much much more for for men than for women, is that uh, culturally, I don't know if it's still the case now, but it was the case that in order to be marriageable, 
a man had to have been in the monastery for a certain amount of time. And so the, if, uh, if a, a young couple, so they, they wanted to get married, the, 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 the parents of the, of the woman would, be, would ask, has he been a monk yet? And so sometimes people would go into the monastery as a sort of doing their duty. And it used to be a, a year or three months, and it, nowadays it's down to a, yeah, a fortnight or a, day, or a week or a day even. Yeah. Literally, you're down to, a, 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 I've heard of a, a day. Um, but, uh, and, but then what can happen is that then doing their duty of coming to the monastery, then they want to stay and they don't want to carry on with the marriage. And so that, uh, that, uh, that has its own dynamic. But that, I, I haven't lived in Thailand for a long, long time, so I'm not so familiar. That used to happen once in a while, when, uh, back in the day. Now, now also, yeah. seven day or a day, but yeah, still consider very good to have. Uh, but uh, if people want to not leave the monastery again, is that is that does that happen from time to time? <laughs> there's a few there's a few uh, Thai monks in the Wat Phuong community who um, they were persuaded into the monastery to do their duty, and then they they did get the the the, the flavor of monastic life, and then didn't want to leave, and then the family really upset. Like, no, you've got to leave. And it's like, well, you wanted me to be here. And so <laughs> you pushed me into this, and I'm, I'm very happy here. Thank you very much. So there's a few of the, uh, of the Ajans that uh, had to do some fierce negotiation with the family. I think his parents asked him to all day. He was thinking about, you know, getting married. Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. yes. So I think I heard one of them. I don't know if it's what Papong or anywhere, but it's in Thailand. It's in Isan, and he got into the temple and decided to stay. But his girlfriend kept coming to do the arms rounds. <laughs> so I was reading this story. I don't remember where. Yes. And then every time he would go for arms rounds, she would be there. <laughs> yeah, that does happen. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't happen. It wasn't making that easy for him. Yeah. I don't know where I read it, but it was quite. He was on Tudong with, uh, he was down in, in the, staying in Chonburi or Chandaburi in the central provinces, and he was camped out in this forest, and he, um, he uh, uh, would go into the village of Armstrong every day, and then there was a, a young woman who was a widow, her husband had died, she had uh, a couple of young children, and uh, so... Uh, yeah, she would uh, come to uh, and ask him questions and uh, give her advice. And then he was doing walking meditation. In the evening, he realized, I just spent the last two hours thinking about that young woman. And, and then he kind of shook, went and shook the Anagarika, the, the park I was with him. Kind of, it was about 11 o'clock at night. He said, we're going. So pack your stuff, we're going. He said, it's the middle of the night. Get your stuff. And then we kind of, he was, uh, started walking in the middle of the night. And they, Left the province. Hmm? Actually, Lung Pusha has a lot, a few, not only one. 
a few yeah. uh, incidents, very interesting. There's one woman had to seduce him. I think he's in Ubon Bani. Probably, yeah. Very, very interesting. Yes. I knew a lot, actually, very juicy. <laughs> So it's it's a kind of ancient dynamic, uh, leaving the the household life and uh, finding uh, uh, that the the kind of um, uh, following through on that 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 aspiration and uh, that yeah also trying to get people to understand you like uh, again going back to my own family just of trying to get my parents and my sisters to understand what it was I was doing and why I was doing it. Explaining doesn't help. <laughs> the, trying to kind of explain yourself, the, the the kind of rational mind spelling it out. The the it's not a rational thing. The objections or the upset, even though it can be it, the it can be kind of expressed in a rational argument like this doctor. Uh, I it took me a while to realize, but my rational explanations of why it was a good thing to do just ran into a brick wall with with my family. It's like. No, it's bad and it's wrong. However you explain it, it's bad and it's wrong because it's what's taken you away from the family and from from uh, you know, our hopes and expectations. So whatever the reasons are, they're wrong. <laughs> it took me a couple of years to, to get a sense for that. I thought, okay, it's not a matter of finding the right argument or the right kind of uh, logic to explain. It's, it's, not a, it's not a reasonable thing. It's not a rational thing. So, so then I just stopped trying to explain Buddhism and I just... Practiced, uh, and I just decided to be a good Buddhist instead. So, but I'll stop trying to put it into words. And I'll just help out with the washing up, and uh, be a, be useful if I'm visiting them. Being useful around the house and, and such like, and and uh, just practice non-contention, and uh, just let things have their own effect over over time. So, took a while, but uh, interestingly enough, it was uh, I think it was my 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 father, who I'd written off as being much less spiritual as my mother <laughs> than my mother, but uh, so right, right at the end of his life, uh, in the last couple of years of his life, he seemed to have a, 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 a much stronger sense of what I was doing and why I was doing it, and it was really the the presence of the heavenly messengers. A lot of his friends, he, he was a, a in the dog breeding world, dog judging dog shows, which is a very boozy, smoky world. So. Uh, when he got into his mid seventies, uh, over seventy and mid seventies, all around him his friends were dying of lung cancer and heart disease and cirrhosis of the liver and kidney failure and just he said it was it was quite poignant. He said it's like being in the Battle of Passchendaele. You know, all his friends are just kind of dropping all around him, his peers, and that the the messengers really got through. It's like I was really surprised. He's, and that uh, he's he uh, was able to really reflect on his life and his value system and even saying things like it's just dogs really I mean it doesn't matter that much you know his whole career had been around dogs and dog breeding and for him to be able to say it's only dogs it really doesn't matter that much in the greater scheme of things I'm amazed and delighted so uh, but I also I feel that just if you're waiting for people to in your family or your friends to understand, then it can be a long, long wait. So I would encourage not waiting, but rather just do what you do and let the world make of it what it will. You know that you care, but you can't make everyone understand you. It's my 
my, the conclusion I've uh, I, I've come to. Any questions? Thoughts? Yes. Um, when I was speaking with my mother, uh, like part of it is yes, expectations from the family, uh, everything they build up, what you will be, and you are not meeting it. But also part of it is uh, concern that uh, it doesn't lead to happiness. That uh, they know the pleasures of life, and they expect me at my age enjoy particular pleasures, and is just kind of feeling sorry that you don't experience it and mm -hmm. not going to. And I think even in the suttas also it's said that um, this kind of happiness that comes from spiritual life, <laughs> it's difficult to see, difficult to experience. And for some people, if they are monastics and they don't enjoy it, they miss on both. So for some yeah, they lose out on both counts. Yeah. Yes, yes, so it seems, I mean, they have a good point because it's uh, very unlikely for most of people, like it's really difficult to squeeze through, right? <laughs> to really find every right step that will lead you onwards. And they just think that you will lead a miserable life. Mm -hmm. And if you're a miserable monastic, you don't promote kindness. <laughs> <laughs> you just promote uh, more misery around mm -hmm. you. So it's, you, you have to be like, very quick on your feet and very wise to be able to make use of this. Yes, indeed, indeed, and that uh, also that was the thing is that uh, the, it's uh, <laughs> when I was in my in the car with my mother one time, and uh, just she was driving driving me back from their home in Kent here to Amravati. This was somewhere in the late eighties, early nineties, and she just randomly said, "So, what 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 do you what's what's the purpose of you being a monk? What what would you say is the the reason for it?" What's the, the what, what are you doing this for? And uh, I can search for the uh, right the right word. And I said sainthood, and she nearly nearly drove off the motorway. Like, <laughs> 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 nearly crashed the car. Thought, okay, well maybe, maybe wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. <laughs> but it was she really lurched and a bit dangerous actually. So I thought, okay, the idea of her son being a saint was just not not kind of digestible. And so it's very difficult for people to. Get a sense for the for the value system or what's what's significant, and so it was only when I started sort of doing tangible things or there was things they could relate to that uh, the family began to to kind of oh that's that's good you know meeting the Dalai Lama or you know or going off to conferences with and in, in, in glamorous places or or you know doing a long tudong walk through England that was something that was the kind of first thing that yes you know my boys. Walk the length of England, you know, and uh, if it's not something, it's something un intangible like Anapanasati, like, like yeah, you know, breathing is an achievement. <laughs> like, really? Why, what makes that so special, so important? You know, they, they can't has no value in that in in people's eyes. But you know, they. Um, but I, I th it's also it was interesting how. Um, when there's a family crisis, and there's a death in the family, or a suicide, or some kind of um, some kind of big disaster, then then the, the spiritual questions and spiritual qualities become significant for about three days around the, the kind of crisis zone, and then after three or four days, then it's okay. What's on the telly? What you know? What, what, what do you want to eat? 
and the, the, it's kind of no, things are normalized and the, the familiar value system is, uh, is reasserted. But in the moment where the, the messengers, the heavenly messengers are, are present, then the kind of the spiritual qualities uh, and the aspect of, of mind and, and, how, uh, and the sense of, of how nature works and the, uh, the spiritual training that you are in, in, uh, endeavoring to embody, that makes sense. But then it, the, the mind can, you know, for many people, that's, they can only deal with talking about sort of death and loss and, and such like for a, a few days and then the mind just wants to go to something more comfortable and familiar and talk about what's on the TV, you know, planning the next holidays and such like. Okay, so to continue a little bit. So, asking these questions is very good. Let's hear more and get down to it. So then Dr. V says, Well, I have another question about Mrs. B. For ten years or more, she's been running to get sprinkled with holy water. Wherever it's happening, she wants to go. She always invites me, but I refuse. I say, I don't make bad karma. I work hard to help others. And that is one kind of skillful activity that I do with good intention. If there's some mistake or misunderstanding, something inappropriate, I still did not have bad intention to cause harm to anyone. So I believe there's no bad karma. I believe that any religion, whatever it is, teaches people to have loving kindness, to do good, to help the world and be pure. If we act with selfishness, then we're finished. We give up responsibility for the world. I believe it depends on our minds whether or not we receive merit. If we act without harmful intent, we want to solve problems and are pure enough, we see people ordain according to custom when the time comes for the purpose of being able to get a wife, as we're saying, <laughs> but their minds may not be pure or pacified. They have anxiety and concerns or some burden from being in the robes, so there is really no benefit. If people will ordain and create wholesome karma, it depends on their minds, like with putting food in the monk's arms bowls. I feel lazy about it. My wife always goes out to do it in the mornings, but I don't. I don't like to take off my shoes to offer food, as is the custom, but in my mind there is no unskillful thought. Funeral offerings, putting food in the arms bowls, People do these things, but still have greed, anger and delusion in their minds, and still cause suffering for others. Instead of making merit like this, wouldn't it be better to make one's mind peaceful and create happiness for others? Bhagavan Pachar responds, There are two issues here. First, why does your wife like to do those things? Doctor, you have chickens around your house. Do you give them shirts and pants or trousers to wa or, or a watch? What do you give them? Uh, rice grains. Right. That's useful for chickens. Pants and shirts are for humans, not chickens. Chickens want rice. So you have to know what beings need. Second, you talk about being lazy to offer food, but that your mind is good. If people are diligent, will they refuse to go to work or wash the dishes or clean the house? We're talking about a hard-working person, not a lazy, not a lazy person now. The doctor responds, no need to, no need to answer that one. Right. So Lumpuchar responds, so, right, so we're talking about someone with faith. Your words are reasonable, but they go too far. You should know the middle, otherwise you exceed the cause and get no result. People with faith want to offer food, perform puja, chanting, and do other activities. They should do it with wisdom, not foolishness, of course. 
Anyhow, talking about you as a very hard-working person concerning the things that you do are important. If you see the house is a mess, can you just sit there and ignore it? If the dishes are dirty, can you refrain from washing them? If the dog defecates on the floor, will you just leave it there? So, people who are practicing Dharma in its various forms are not doing something different. Diligent people see things that need to be done, and they do them. Why do you sweep up the mouse and dog droppings? Because you're an aware and responsible person. So it's not just people living in a different world and doing Buddhist things. Sprinkling the holy water, that's their level. We don't forbid the chickens to eat rice. Good, very good. An hour is not long enough. Let's air all those questions. <laughs> so I don't know if uh, Lumpur is kind of jumping from uh, a little bit from one um, perspective to another there. So I don't know if people could really uh, follow all of that. But um, he's, the, the doctor is saying you know, he can't really empathize with his wife going out to offer food and, and getting sprinkled with holy water. It's not, not something he can relate to and has a sense of, I sort of do my job and, and, uh, and um, uh, I see that's uh, something that's benefiting the world. But uh, Lumpur Chah's example is saying, well, you know, the, for the chickens, the chickens appreciate rice. They, you know, tra having trousers and shirts and, uh, and a, and a uh, wristwatch doesn't mean anything. It's not not useful, not valuable for a, for a chicken, but the the rice is. So different things suit different people, different situations, and and also um, in terms of practicalities, that um, yeah, that uh, you're also ready to look after the things that need to be looked after, like washing the dishes, cleaning the house, and and uh, cleaning up after the, the dogs and the mice and such like that. Uh, those practical realities we take care of, um, and that as long as there's a skillful intention behind the actions, uh, whether it's offering alms food or whether it's working as a doctor, then it's the intentions behind the actions that are, are what is uh, significant, and different actions are appropriate for different people, different situations, uh, and so that knowing what's uh, appropriate for uh, and meaningful for different people, knowing what's the, the right time to do things, then it's uh, then acting accordingly. Then that's uh, uh, how to how we can live skillfully and making judgments about other people or, or looking at their what its priority, what our priorities for them from your own perspective. That can be just having a very narrow view. Um, and as he says, your words are reasonable, but they go too far. You know, that the the doctor is is not putting himself into his his wife's perspective and looking at it from her view, but uh, just seeing that this doesn't, uh, it's not something that I like to do. So, is that, uh, that clear enough? It's the kind of passage you need to sort of have it in front of you and, uh, and uh, follow it through because it does skip around a little bit, but um, hopefully, people can follow that well enough. Any questions, thoughts? Yes? Uh, just a question about sprinkling water on people. Yes. Do you know where that comes from, that practice? Um, I think it's a Brahmin ritual originally. And a lot of things in Thailand come, come straight from Indian custom. Like uh, marriages are, are, uh, in Thailand are done by a Brahmin priest. They're blessed by Buddhist monastics, but the actual, the actual wedding is a Brahmin ceremony. So that uh, it's a, um, there's, a, there's a close... And the, the main, uh, the, the core of Thai... 
classical dance and music is the Ramayana, the story of, of, of you know, Rama and Sita. So, so it's a very close connection with uh, yeah, Hindu mythology and, and, and Brahmin rituals and customs. So. But uh, anyhow, when people asked about um, uh, yeah, Lumpur Cha sprinkling people with, with holy water, you said, yeah, people, people like it, it's pretty harmless. So it, uh, it, uh, it's something that he was happy to do. He didn't make a whole issue about refusing to sprinkle anybody. <laughs> he wouldn't make any promises about if you get sprinkled, then you know, only good things will happen to you. <laughs> so I, I hold it in the same spirit myself that I... Uh, I never ask people, "Would you like to be sprinkled?" But if they if they request, they say, "Lord, come on." If they if they ask for it, then uh, it's it's right there. So the, it's the uh, available if uh, if wished for. But or like with same with tying strings on. Yeah, but people request that then. Yeah, but um, yeah, happy to to go along with that because it's, it's a way of of making a. A, a, an extra sort of gesture of faith and commitment, but uh, uh, I, I don't make any promises around it or, or uh, suggest it. But I'm, uh, I'm happy to go along with it if, if if it seems a good fit. This this thing, I think hundred years ago, the monk who had uh, supernatural power who meditated right in the forest when the sprinkle had some power, but now it's become like. Ajahn said that just, you know, for good feeling, but not have much real effect. Mm-hmm. But the past, yes. Mm-hmm. 100 years, something, that Ajahn who meditate, mm-hmm. they had chanting something too. I, I, I read about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe so. <laughs> okay, so let's leave it there for today